Welcome to the Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope and pray you'll encounter God as you listen to this message. It's not going to be a very long message this morning, I promise. For those of you who are thinking, gosh, it's 12 o'clock and Dan's only just started. Do not worry. It's okay. But a few little notices for you guys. Um, the first one being any chance the vocal mics can be muted so I can't have a reverb on my voice. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, but also, the next one is today after church, we have corporate prayer. Woohoo! Come on. And so, who, who felt power as we were praying for Israel? Yeah? God loves prayer. God loves prayer. And we, every two weeks as a church, we gather at our coffee shop, something's brewing, and we dedicate time set aside for prayer. And so, I want to see as many of you there as possible today because we are. Um, I've even, in fact, Tim and Falaka, I've set up the microphone already. So all you have to do is walk in and turn it on. So there you go. And so we're ready for corporate prayer today. And so we're going to pray. There's a list of things we're going to be praying into. And we really believe in the power of prayer. So please join us for that. Also, dwell tomorrow evening. Now, some of you will have heard. Some of you won't. Um, that's okay. We have changed the location of dwell. Uh, we've been praying into this for a really long time, actually. And we just felt the Lord saying that there's, he's got... On a lot of levels, actually, he's been really challenging us on um, kind of routine methodology and, and keeps on taking me back to the second time that Moses strikes the rock and just being like, why would you keep on doing it without asking me whether or not you should do it in the same method you've been doing it? I was like, that's a really interesting point, God. Okay, talk. And, um, and just really felt like the Lord saying that we should move, dwell up to something's brewing. Um, because one of the things in something's brewing in our vision statement for it is that it's to be an interface between God and the community. And so actually, we want to make sure that we have as much stuff flooding the atmosphere of that place with spiritual and awesome worship and power so that as people come in, they get healed, they get delivered, they get set free just through the supernatural osmosis of the atmosphere. And so we're going to be moving dwell up there very intentionally to be pouring into the atmosphere of that place with upwards worship and prayer. And so tomorrow night, we will be at Something's Brewing. At 7.30, if you want to get a drink or a snack beforehand, get there for 7, and we'll be open for then as well. But come and join us up at Something's Brewing tomorrow night for Dwell, which will be really good. Um, also, on the 15th, at Something's Brewing again, straight after the service, we have prophetic training. It was absolutely rammed last time, wasn't it, Tanya? And it was amazing. And so don't be stuck in a corner this time. Spread out. Um, and so come and be at Something's Brewing. We'll have prophetic training, and that'll be that's open for anyone to be part of. And so we'll just have the whole space dedicated to prophetic training, like how we do a corporate prayer. Just come and be in the atmosphere and learn a thing. And we'll get a microphone for you if you want one. There you go. Come on. I know we're going up. We're spontaneous upwardsness. Um, then on the 22nd, we have a bring and share lunch. Who enjoyed the last one we did? Okay. There's a notice. Amy Adewoye, where are you? Where are you? Okay, she's out there. If she can hear me, tell your husband to make more jerk chicken next time. And then we can settle this debate for once and for all as to whether or not it is jerk chicken or not. Because I know there's a few, there was a little bit of a debate going on between our Afro-Caribbean community as to whether or not it was truly jerk chicken or not. Um, and so um, it was good, apparently. Do you know why it was apparently? Because Felix put some on the side for me to have and I was busy making burgers for people and someone ate it. You know who you were, Okay. And so I'm looking forward to trying some Joe chicken this time. It's important. Hmm? And it is going to be at Something's Brewing as well. Now, one of the things as well, on the, in the spirit of the word that Tanya just shared and what Ashley was just sharing as well, we are praying into um, looking at bringing in a much more regular dynamic of breaking bread together. And, you know, it's been really laying on our hearts quite heavily that actually Something's Brewing, being open to the public on a Sunday, is that actually the right thing? 
or should it be a space that we use to promote the, the community of our church? And so we're praying into it because obviously that means in inverted commas, a loss of income, but also I don't know whether or not we should be open as a business on a Sunday anyway, but also creating a space for us as a church to just with no time restrictions to say, let's come and do community. We're going to be getting a load of board games. We're going to be getting a load of stuff there where you can just come and be, spend time together and grow in community. And so this may become a more regular feature. So we're going to try it out on the 22nd, doing our bring and share up at Something's Brewing. So we'll have church here and then we'll all head up to Something's Brewing and we'll eat together. There'll be logistical plans as to how that works with if you're bringing food with you, where you bring it and all that kind of stuff. We'll let you know in due course. Please, 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 please sign up on Church Suite for it though. The reason for that is so that we can kind of keep track on what food there is going to be and we can get an idea roughly on what food we want to supplement with as well. Because also, if you want to come, but you either can't afford to bring food or you don't know what to bring, just come and talk to me or Ashley and we will provide food for you. That's not a problem. Don't let provision be a reason to not be there. Let yourself be provided for and we'll get on to that in my preach in a second. Um, Then, um, blah, 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 blah. Yes, okay, cool. The last one is Something's Brewing Volunteers. Who here volunteers at Something's Brewing or has volunteered at Something's Brewing before? Come on. Look at these amazing people. Wonderful, wonderful people. Come on. Thank you so much. Um, And you guys are really sustaining us, which is awesome. But we also do have some gaps because obviously like Alma and Jeroen have gone back to Holland now. And so we have a few gaps in our rotor. And so if you want to help um, with volunteering at Something's Brewing, please let us know. Um, But also for those of you who want to take the journey as being a barista a little bit more seriously in your life and you want to actually commit to being trained fully as a barista and doing that as a little kind of like part of your journey ahead, then we're also going to be doing some paid barista roles very soon. And so that will be very much a skill-based journey. So not necessarily for everyone, but if you want to be a paid barista at Something's Brewing and get trained up by some of the best baristas in London and Mum of Coffee, then please come and talk to us as well because we'd love to look at that. Which is awesome. Right, anyway, that's all the notices. So I'm going to play you guys a thing. I didn't plan this at all other than the fact that I just thought we're, I'm going to be, the title for today is God's, God Helps Us Live the Best Way. And now if you haven't been paying attention at all, if you've somehow been under a rock the last four weeks in church, um, you should all know that actually we are doing a multi-generational teaching series at the moment. So what happens in here will be, in theory, the same topic as what happens in Fire Kids and also what happens in Youth when Youth is on. And so um, now the reality is you put any preacher behind a microphone with any sort of notes and they will absolutely preach what the Holy Spirit is saying in the moment. And so often the plan does go out the window. However, we're going to start and hope to achieve that today, okay? Um, But the title is God Helps Us Live the Best Way. And in true fashion of what I've just said, um, I was praying and felt like the Lord said to preach on the Lord's Prayer today, which is not actually the verse, but we're going to get to the verse in a bit, okay? But I just thought what would be really cool is to play you guys a very famous person in our family saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, Right, can you get the mic up loud? Let's just see if this one works. Let's start again. Right, let's start again. Today, daily bread, give us our sins, please 
Oh, man. Come on. So, for those of you who didn't guess, that's Caleb. He's my our two-and-a-half-year-old, and he he loves doing the Lord's Prayer. It's part of his bedtime routine every night. It's super cute. And But, yeah, the Lord's Prayer. And so, the title today being, God Helps Us Live the Best Way. And the Lord said to me really clearly, he was like, if you need a framework for living the best way, it's there. In the scripture, the Lord's Prayer. And so, we're going to get into that today. And you can all ask Caleb later if he wants to say our father. That's how you ask him to do it. And he may oblige. He may just say no and run off. Um, you'll get one of those two extremes. Um, we were at Raj and Eliza's wedding yesterday, and trying to get Caleb to wear his suit was was a battle. I can tell you that. He is a strong-willed little boy. And we managed to eventually get him into a shirt and trousers, but he wouldn't wear any shoes. Um, and then he wouldn't wear a tie. And he had a waistcoat. And Tanya was like, his waistcoat matched what Stephen was wearing. So Tanya was like, Caleb, Caleb, look. Look, you'll match Stephen, thinking that's going to be a really good thing. And apparently Caleb looked Stephen up and down and just went, no, and walked off. So I'm sorry, Stephen, you got judged. You looked fantastic in my opinion. Um, but we got there eventually. I think it, the closest we got was him wearing trainers with his outfit. But we got there. Um, we were matching. We both had pink shirts and navy suits. It's great fun. And so, um, yeah, that was a really good day. But um, on that, just... Pray and love on Raj and Eliza. They've got some. They've had a fantastic day getting married late um, yesterday. If you don't know Raj, Raj helps us with setup. You'll have seen him around. He's often sitting at the back. He's a really quiet guy, but he's just a wonderful servant-hearted man, and he's incredible. And we had a great day marrying them yesterday, which is awesome. Um, but they are and really good food. Yeah, really good food. Um, but they are going on honeymoon, and then they just pray for them because at the moment they're trying to figure out how to do living. They haven't quite worked it out yet. Eliza lives in Bristol. Raj lives in London. And Raj was talking about commuting from Bristol to London, and I've been saying to him, maybe you need to just like see if the Lord can provide you one place to be. And so pray for that. Um, but they're gonna they're lovely, lovely couple, and we're gonna bless them as a church as we go forward. So when you next see them, or if you know them, send some love their way. So the Lord's prayer starts off our father and i think the st- point number one for how to how god helps us live the best way number one it starts off with identity our father it doesn't say the father or any father it says our father it doesn't even just say our god it says our father there's identity there we are identifying as his children as a result by saying our father we're saying he has identity as our father but also we have an identity as his children we identify as his. We are formed by and created by him. And to live your best life in this day and age, we need to understand what we identify as. Because we look at the world, and the world is going nuts over identity. And praise the Lord, and some of the cynics, myself included in this moment, when you heard Rishi Sunak saying what he said in the end of the Conservative Party conference, um, you'll have maybe just been a bit cynical and thought, hey, he's just like kind of coining for votes here. But actually what I felt like the Lord remind me of is in, it's in Corinthians, it says, it says that all government comes under the government of God and therefore all government is good. And even if Rishi Shunak is a guy that we really don't want to talk into the ethical and morality of and the faith-based religion of his journey, God can still use him as a mouthpiece if he wants to. And for the prime minister of our country to stand up and address the whole of the Conservative Party and say, we need to stop messing around here. Male is male and female is female and that's it. It's an extraordinary statement that just like blew me away. I was like, goodness me, this feels like a fight that's being taken on for us now. Isn't that extraordinary? And we've been praying and contending for this. But, you know, we need to identify as children of God. 
And to be a child of God means that we were made in his image. And in his image, we were created. And science backs us up. We're either XX or XY. We, God does not welcome our opinion into how we were created. It says that he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He doesn't say, I waited until your sixth birthday and asked you what you want to be. <laughs> he created you in your mother's womb. He knitted you together. He formed you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every day of your life. Which means that also he knows every day of the people who are so confused of their lives and knew when the confusion would come, but he also knew when the confusion would be broken. Come on. And so our Father, daily declaration of your atmosphere, I am a child of God. I am a daughter or a son of God. I have a maker who is a father. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he just went, I've made you see you later and sold us off in a shop. We have a maker who's a father, which means I've made you and I love you and I'm walking with you. Come on, I'm just going to keep repeating those words forever. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, our Father, you're decreeing such an incredible power over yourself. Such an incredible power over your atmosphere, over your household, over your community. Our Father. In heaven. Where is he? He's in heaven. And I think this is really cool, is that it's not our God, but our Father. Because actually the Father is in heaven. That's where he resides. Jesus came to earth and is now back in heaven. The Holy Spirit is now within you if you are a follower of Jesus. But the Father's in heaven. Why is that really important? Because he's in the place of holiness. He's in the place of purity. He's in the place of undefiled atmosphere on the seat of ultimate power and government. If he wasn't on that seat, then actually that would have less gravity to what we're saying here. But if we say our Father in heaven, we're saying our Father who knows us, makes us, that we are the children of, who sits on the ultimate seat of power and government in a pure and undefiled holy atmosphere. That's the place where his voice comes from. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that extraordinary? So that when we say we're children of God, of a Father in heaven and not a Father on this earth, that means we are children of an infallible God who is all-powerful. And so every time we say our Father in heaven, we're saying our Father who is unable to be defiled by the world, who's created me, and as his offspring I have his DNA. So therefore I am in that atmosphere of an undefiled place. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that extraordinary? Our Father in heaven, we're living in identity. Hallowed be your name. And this is amazing. So there's a guy, a theologian called Albert Moeller, who says this. When Jesus petitions God to hallow his name, when we say this prayer and petition God to hallow his name, which is why, can I encourage you, maybe don't go with the modern language on this of holy is your name, because that is true. That is very true. But here's why. We shouldn't say holy is your name and say hallowed be your name, because there's different. Holy is your name is a statement of fact. His name is holy. Hallowed be your name is a petition to God to do something. And it's this. He is asking that God act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory. And so holy is his name is saying he is holy. Hallowed be your name is and show us. Isn't that amazing? Hallowed be your name. We recognize that you are set apart. We recognize that you are undefiled. We recognize that you have all the power and all the government. And show us what that looks like. My father, in intimate relationship with me, is going to show me what that looks like. In two sentences, you've just said the most powerful thing you could ever say over your life. I'm a child of him, and he's going to show me how he is holy. He is going to show me his glory. If also... 
has a focus shift from me to him in this prayer. Because at the start, I'm saying, me to you, my father. It's an ownership thing. You live in heaven. I perceive it. I see it. But then hallowed be your name is a shift from me to him. And it's saying that his name should be shown to be holy, shown to be sanctified, shown to be set apart, shown to be pure, shown to be glorious. And as we walk as his children, we should be showing all those things. So identity, the first step, how God helps us to live the best way. The number one through the Lord's Prayer is identity. Who he is and who we are. Authority is the next one. It shifts then to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not when I pray, my kingdom come. Not my will be done on earth as it is in Dan's household. And I think sometimes we, we actually live in that place. And you know, it's, it, you know, in modern Christianity, it's very easy to become quite entitled. When we talk about messages like identity and be like, I'm a son of God. And he's given me authority. He's placed a ring on my finger. And he's placed a robe on my back. I am royalty. And I'm going to decree a thing and see it established. And I, I, I. And we end up like the sons of Sceva who stand there saying, I am going to cast you out in the name of Paul who follows Jesus. Because we're following a self-identified theology, not the reality of true theology, which is God. And so when we say, your will be done, we're saying, I'm submitting myself. I'm becoming very self-aware. And I'm stepping away from my needs. I'm stepping away from my requirements. I'm stepping away from the things I want to see happen. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. My kingdom, my responsibility, my world is a far lesser kingdom than the kingdom of heaven. And if I exist as a king for pursuing my kingdom, then it's going to fall to the ground. You know, it's really interesting when you look at Saul and David, when, when the prophet comes to Saul and says, God's favor has departed from you and he's found another. Saul's response is, don't take my kingdom from me. Don't take my kingdom from me. Something went really wrong in Saul's life because Saul was only put in place because the nation went to God and said, we want a king. And God's like, wait a second, I'm your king. And they go, no, no, we want someone who we can touch, feel. And, you know, so they've got no doubt of faith. We want a king to represent you. And God picks Saul. It's amazing. Like he sends Samuel to go and find him. And he says, this is the one in Israel who I've chosen. And then Saul reaches a place where somehow he understands it to be his kingdom, his throne, his position. He's lost sight. Sometimes I think when we pray, we pray, my kingdom come. And you may not use that language. My will be done. And then when God has his kingdom show up and his will show up, we're like, what is going on? This is spiritual warfare. I'm being attacked. And we're like fighting against the will of God and wondering why it's not shifting. And God's over there going, stop fighting me. I'm far bigger than you can do anything with. And it's like, it's funny. I, sometimes Caleb tries to attack my ankles and I hold his head and he runs. He still runs. And he, I'm holding his head. And he's still running on the spot. Like, I'm trying to get you. And it's very, very easy for me to stop him. It's not hard. And I feel like sometimes we get a bit like that by accident in our prayers. When we're like railing against God and God is going, <laughs> look at you. <laughs> You're so silly. Look, it's my hand. Stop pushing. I've done that a lot recently. I've been pushing some doors, and God has been holding them firmly shut. And he's going, shift your prayer, Dan. Shift your attitude. Stop looking for me to placate your needs. Stop looking for me to be like a buffet where I just say, have whatever you want. What a weak source God that would be. 
that if we just literally exist in a place where we pray anything that we want and God goes, here you go. That's like God the vending machine, not God the all-powerful creator who sits on the throne in heaven. He is set apart. When we say, hallowed be your name, he comes to us first and proves that his name is holy. So he goes, I'm not going to be defiled by your prayers. I'm not going to be defiled by your needs. Now, it does also say that he gives good things to those who love and obey him. So don't get me wrong. He still wants to love you and give good things to you, but he also needs you to be obedient to him. And so when you're pushing against him, and he's going, I'm not moving, and you're not going to do it, not in a million years, then we need to go, okay, God, I obey you. How do you want me to pray? And it's really simple. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the immediate on earth is where I stand in my life. Not my will, but yours, God. Jesus demonstrated it at the cross in the most incredible, humble form where he said to God, not my will, but yours be done. Where he went as a lamb to the slaughter, to the cross, to show us how simple it is. And he was fully man and fully God. And yet in his humanity, he recognized that he had the potential to undo the will of God. Isn't that extraordinary? Because he's defining there that he had a will and a desire and a need separate to God's. Oh man, that's a whole other preach. But just think about that for a second. Jesus could have undone it all. And the potential for the contemplation for it to even be there, for him to have to say, your will, not mine, God, is extraordinary. And now I'm not saying that Jesus would have done it. So don't come and beat me up afterwards as a heretic, please. But the fact that he had to say that means that actually there is, even for Jesus, there was moments where he knew that his will didn't necessarily line up or had the potential to not line up with God's will. Because we have needs in our humanity where we really want to see God move how we want it. And when it doesn't turn up how we want it, we lose our mind over it. It's very healthy having toddlers in your life because they really demonstrate to you over examples of this. In the most ridiculous ways. Like, I want ice cream. I want strawberry ice cream. But I want, so we, we went for ice cream the other day and Isla wanted strawberry ice cream. But she specifically only wanted the white ice cream in the strawberry ice cream, not the pink ice cream in the strawberry ice cream. Which Ashley lovingly pointed out to her is vanilla. And so why don't you just have vanilla ice cream? And she said, no, mommy, I don't want vanilla ice cream. I want strawberry ice cream. And so then we got strawberry ice cream for her. And she almost lost the plot over the fact that there was pink ice cream as well as white ice cream. It swirled into it. It's like this mottled marbled effect. And so we spent the next 10 minutes having to pick out the white ice cream from the pink ice cream. And I think sometimes we like that. We're like... God, I want the strawberry ice cream. And he shows us strawberry ice cream. And then we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't want that bit. I want this bit gone and this bit gone and this bit gone. I want just this, this, and this. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm, this, is, this is my blessing to you. This is my portion. We're like, no, 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 no. And we try to argue with him. And so authority, his authority. So we have identity in him. And he has identity over us. We have authority as a result. But it's his authority, not ours. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Provision. God helps us live the best way by providing for us. He says, give us this day our daily bread. How often do you pray this prayer? Like, I mean, when I was in primary school, it's the weirdest thing. I went to a non-Christian primary school and yet we sung the Lord's Prayer once a week in assembly. Which is very random when you think about it. But anyway, like, sung it once a week in assembly. How often do you say this prayer? I say it every day. Do you know why? Because it says, give us today our daily bread. So if I pray it 
not daily, then what am I living for or what am I living with? What is my bread on the days where I don't pray it? We know what God did with the manna. He said, I'm going to give you daily bread. I'm going to give you daily provision. And then the unfaithful Israelites were like, oh, I'm just going to keep hold of this for tomorrow. And the next day it's all gone off. How many of you have got eternal leftovers in your fridge at home? Where you like make dinner and then you do leftovers and then you put them in the fridge and then you wait until they've gone off and then you put them in the bin. And it's like this really weird cycle that you live in where you can't put it in the bin when it's fresh so you just wait for it to die in your fridge. Like you've got some weird morgue in your kitchen for food. You're like, I'm going to eat this food. I'm going to take some of this food. I'm going to sacrifice it to the fridge and then I'm going to put it in the bin. And, and, we do, and it's like that with our daily bread with God. Give me today my daily bread. Next day. Hmm. I'm living on my yesterday's bread. Next day, I'm living on two days ago bread. Next day, why is life really hard? Why am I not experiencing prison in my life? What's going on? My leftovers have gone off. I've sacrificed them to the world around me. And now I'm living in brokenness and rottenness. And oh, wait, give me your daily bread, God. And I'm like, okay, cool. I feel good. I feel good. I've got daily bread. And then, oh, it's gone rotten again. Why are we doing this stuff? It's really obvious in the scripture. It's really plain language. Give us this day our daily bread. Not help me make my daily bread. Not give me the tools and I will do it, God. Give us our daily bread. So first of all, give it. So he's got to give it to you. Our daily bread. Not some daily bread. But it's the portion you deserve. Isn't that amazing? He has daily bread for you. He has provision for you that he has set aside for you specifically. He has the ability to meet your need. Now, it doesn't mean that you just sit there naked in an empty room saying, God, provide me with a sofa. God, provide me with clothes. God, provide me with this. And when it doesn't show up, you go, God, there isn't fail or favor. I'm going to become a cessationist and believe that he is dead and we're just worshiping him out of religion. That's not true. He asks us to partner with him. But when we say, give us today our daily bread, he will provide for you in extraordinary ways. How to live your best life in Jesus? Provision. And recognizing where it comes from. But also then being very humble in what he gives you. And never ever starting to think, oh, I did this for me. This is my I did it bit. And this is God's bit. I got busted by Duncan Smith the other day on the phone. We were talking about tithing. If you look up on Catch Fire Raleigh's um, YouTube channel, Duncan has a um, message about tithing. And it's absolutely incredible. And, um, but we were talking about tithing. I used the phrase, paying my tithe, and he slapped me down in a really loving way. He was like, Dan, you don't pay your tithe, because that would mean that it's a membership fee to heaven. I was like, okay. He's like, you return your tithe. I was like, ooh. You return your tithe to the Lord, which means what? It means that the provision I have in my life was not mine in the first place. And so I'm returning to God what he asks me to of what he has given me so that I can live with the rest of what he's given me in the first place. Bill Johnson says this, God can do far more with the 90% than you can do with the 100%. Because when you're living in an obedience of saying, this is yours anyway, God, then he'll pour out his blessing upon you. So side point, if you're not tithing and returning your tithe to the Lord and you want to see God's favor in your life, and this is, please hear me, this is not a prosperity gospel message. I'm not saying, give your tithe and you'll get a Ferrari. You might do, if God wants to bless you with that. But what you should do is just return to God what is his anyway and live off what he's allowing you to live in the first place. And then follow his word with that. Steve Long, who's with us last week preaching, he has 
a habit with God where whenever he goes out for a meal, he asks God, what do you want me to do with the tip today? So part of his returning the tithe. Now, let me say something to you. Also, God may tell you that your tithe is not just 10%. I know the word means 10, and we can get stuck in the semantics. Bishop Joseph Garlington, a long time ago, we were in his church in Pittsburgh, and he was doing an offering talk, and he said, people often ask me, should I tithe on my net income or my gross income? And he said this, he said, tithing on your net is gross. Stop it. Like, trying to find schemes and ways around making it affordable in your perception on how to give back to God is just silly. Ask him how much he wants you to give. Now, I would suggest, personally, the way we operate is that we operate in a, we give 10% of our gross income and anything else God asks us to do. And that's a model we've particularly learned from Steve, actually. We watched Steve, and he will go out for dinner, and obviously in North America, a really big culture of tipping. And so he'll be like, God, how do you want me to tip? And anything less than 20%, he will just refuse believing that's God. Because he wants to be an extravagant tipper. He wants to be blessing the people around him. And he has been blessed so it can be a blessing. And it opens doors to talking to people in crazy ways. I've been with him where he's tipped 100% of the bill to the server. And he's been having, being able to talk to people where they're like, oh my gosh, I was literally like about to get chucked out of my apartment. I've got late notice fees on my stuff. I couldn't afford to do it. And this, this like what you've done today is going to mean that I can live in my house another day. And, like, and Steve just said, well, like, I just wanted to bless you. And I'm just being obedient to God. And we, we went for lunch um, in Pinna last week, um, and we were sat there, and there was a table, of three birthday parties happening. And Steve immediately calls over the servers, like, okay, I just heard them say happy birthday. Do you have any birthday cakes we can get for them? And, like, just arrange all this stuff for their table. Why? Because we get to love, because we get to bless, because we're living in the overflow, because we receive our daily bread. And when we receive our daily bread, we're in the flow of the abundance of heaven, and we get to pour that out to people around us. So there's provision. But he doesn't just stop at the practical need, our daily bread. But then we go on to say, and forgive us our sins, or in the New King James, it's forgive us our debts. So provide for us in our daily bread and our need, but also forgive us our debts. So in your provision, there's both room for us to be forgiven and those things to be paid off. Isn't that amazing? And so when we live in that place, then off the back of it, we then have one reasonable response to do. And that is to forgive our debtors, to forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness is such an important tool in the world. And this is not forgiveness in a, in a worldly sense of, Asher, I'm really sorry that you hurt me the way you hurt me. That's not forgiveness. That's, that's heaping coals upon her head and making her feel better. Now, by the way, Asher hasn't hurt me, everybody. She's wonderful and lovely. I don't think she could ever hurt me. But living in a place of forgiveness, which just says, God, I'm so abundantly blessed by you that I'm no longer concerned by the things that happen against me because I'm concerned about you. And so I'm going to live in a place where I write off all the debts around me because I don't, I don't actually need anything. Because to hold somebody to debt says you need something from them. It's saying, I need of you. You owe me. But when you have need there, how can you possibly have all your needs met here? And so you need to be in a place in your life where your needs are met in him and in the entirety of it, and he'll handle the rest. And so you say, God, where do I need to forgive? Where do I need to release? Where do I need to get rid of all the IOUs and all the stuff that's holding me into this place and just say, God, bless them so they can walk in their daily bread too. So authority, provision, then leadership and accountability. Are you being led by God and are you accountable to people and God? Because it says this, lead us not into temptation. It doesn't say remove temptation from my life. It says lead me not into temptation. 
I am following you as you lead me not into temptation. And so are you following God in all things? Are you being led by him? Are you accountable to his leadership? Are you following him? Lead me not into temptation. And then deliver me from the evil one. And I think that's the accountability piece. So leadership is leave me, lead me not into temptation. Lead me away from that thing over there that you know I'm going to do a really silly thing with. And lead me away from it. And deliver me from evil. Why is it also that? Because you could just say that if we're following his leadership, we'd be nowhere near temptation. But actually there's a dynamic where sometimes there's still evil going on in our atmosphere, in our choices and our attitudes. Because it may be temptations being dealt with, but what about our attitudes and our behaviors and our condition and our identity and our character? And all those things that cause pain to others. We need to be held accountable to those things. We need to ask him to deliver us. Because that's what accountability looks like. It looks like being surrounded by people who can speak truth to you in such a way that it causes a change in you. And so God saying, God, deliver me from evil. He's going to point it out. It's like what David prayed. God, shine a light into my heart and reveal anything within me so that I can walk on the road eternal. Right, I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. But we're going to jump into some scripture that's going to link this into the fire kids so we can all be together in that vision, okay? So in Exodus 18, I'm going to paraphrase this, but basically we've got a story here of Moses and his father-in-law Jethro keeping Moses accountable. But you find this scene, and it's very interesting. So Moses has been in the wilderness, He's come out from Egypt. He's gone through the Red Sea. He's in the wilderness leading the people of Israel. He's had the whole thing of the water coming from the rock. They've had manna coming already. They're walking in the presence of the pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. They are walking in the supernatural realm of their breakthrough. And so he's walking along doing this. And then Jethro turns up and he's having the catch up with his father-in-law being like, all this stuff's happened since I last saw you. It's so amazing. It's so good. But also everybody sucks. Because they're all coming to me with their complaints, and I'm having to judge them and tell them what's right or wrong, and everyone's being really ridiculous, and I don't like it, and I'm having to do this thing, and I've been da-da-da-da. And you know what's fascinating is God never asked Moses to be the judge of the people. Have you ever noticed that? He asked him to lead his people, and he asked him to establish his holy law of his people, but he never asked him to judge, deal with the bickering. He never did it. And he's there trying in his will, because he's like, I've got a really good idea. I can be the solution to every problem because I am God's appointed person. I am Moses. I am the most humble person on the planet of the earth. And so I can handle all of this stuff. And so he's there as God's appointed. And he's like, come to me with your problems and I will fix them. And it kind of the way I like to read it. It's maybe Dan's version, but I will fix all your problems in the name of the Lord. And it's kind of like diminishing God in that moment and elevating Moses, right? And Jethro comes along and just in the way that probably only a father-in-law can completely slaps him down with some Holy Spirit truth. And it's like, no, no, no. No, you are going to burn yourself out, Moses. You're going to just destroy yourself. You can't possibly carry this burden because what you are doing, and this is my paraphrase, is you are trying to be God. You're trying to sit in the judgment seat. That's God's seat. That's a big seat. You can't fill those shoes, Moses. You're called to lead. You're not called to judge. You're called to be in this place. And so establish a structure around you under the calling of God in you so that you can see his voice come. Your job, Moses, is to stand in front of the presence of God like God called you to and, rip, and allow God to flow through you to the nation. That's all you've got to do. And so all this stuff happens, and it's amazing. And Jethro holds him to a true godly account, pulls him into alignment. A little side point that I found really fascinating and is that Jethro comes to find Moses with Moses' wife and children. And 
it's an extraordinary dynamic, just as a side point, because this has got really nothing to do with what I'm saying, other than just it's interesting, is that Moses, through I can find two choices here where Moses has chosen to place himself in a decision-making position that's not actually what God's asked him to do. And so Moses is leading the people of Israel through the wilderness, whilst his wife and children are in Midian, living a life of rest and luxury in a land of provision under her father-in-law. Why doesn't he have them with them? See, Moses is doing something really weird here. He's, he's leading a nation and expecting them to do things that he will not. And then he's attempting to sit in a place of judgment that God's not called him to do. And God has to course correct and turn up and bring accountability in his life. How many times do we live in an atmosphere of trying to do our best life for Jesus and then expect people to do things and act in ways that we ourselves will not do? Man, that's such a dangerous place for a pastor to be in. Expecting people to give, expecting people to serve, expecting people to volunteer. We've, we've erased the language of day off from our narrative. And we're trying to find better words from it. Not to say we're going to go crazy and not have days off, so don't worry, we're going to have sensible boundaries in our life. But we're talking about actually recognizing about where we're giving out, where we're receiving, and where it's both. Because actually, it would be unfair of me and Ashley as the pastors of this church to only turn up when we're paid to do so. Because that completely undermines any and diminishes and cheapens any service that anybody else would do in this church in the name of love. I'm never going to be Moses sending my children off to be in a better position and saying to you all, let's go around the wilderness together. Whilst my family's in a better place, let's do this. Let's all sacrifice together, but not really. That's, that's what it is. It's to, to be in a position where you wouldn't do something and you're expecting somebody else to do it. And so accountability aligns these things. And accountability is so important, and we all should have it. You should have people speaking into your life who are a plumb line for truth, a plumb line to keep you focused, not people who are just going to say, you're amazing, look at you, look at you, you're so good. You know what that's like? Do you want to the Bible reference for that? Job's friends? Like accountability just goes, they're there, it's okay, life's really hard. That's Job's friends. We shouldn't be like Job's friends. When we're count, like I used to do this when we were doing men's ministry, like years ago, very start of the church, we had a men's group, and and we'd have accountability structures, and you know there'd be situations where people would come and be like, I just need to be accountable with you, Dan. I'd be like, okay, like I, I slipped up. I'd be like, okay, what does that mean? Like, oh, I don't, don't want to show. It. I don't want to say. All right. And what they're looking for is just to get off their chest. I feel really good about myself now I said that. Oh, wait off. I slipped up. Cool. See you later. I'm going to carry on in life. <laughs> and then I'll confess my sins. Thank you, Father. For and, you know, and just, and just live in that realm where it's like, oh, I feel better for myself now. And, and yet we've just ha been walking in a defiled atmosphere and nobody's telling us to deal with it. And it would be really awkward, but I'd be like, define slipped up. All right, well, you know, I looked at something I shouldn't. Okay, what does that mean? You looked at horse racing. Like, what? You watched an 18 movie. Be specific. There's no shame here. And it's not about guilt. It's not about condemnation. But it's about facing the thing. Because that's what accountability does. It counts the cost of your choices and actions and enables you to step into a better level of freedom than you had before. It's amazing. And it's so disarming when you get someone to actually say what they did wrong. 
So they've, they've removed every right. It says in the Bible that if you walk in the light, darkness cannot touch you. And so I'm not saying we do a group accountability session right now as a, as a church, which, by the way, if you go on a YRAM DPS, DTS, sometimes what they do at the start of it to build culture in a team is they sit down and say, okay, everyone, we're going to share our sin issues. Tanya's been there. You can ask her how horrendously scary that is. We're not going to do that. We're not going to be like, okay, Mike's free. Come forward and confess your sins. But the reality is we have to be in account, we have to seek out accountability because we and our flesh are too weak. And we look for affirmation in our brokenness rather than people saying, you are not that. You are not who that is defining you to be right now. And we're going to get every bit of darkness that's in you and on you right now out into the light so that you can be set free, whole, healed, delivered, and you can walk in the truth you're called to do. We start with God. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes it's a lot easier to sit in front of God and say, I'm really sorry that I did this and this. Because you knew that he saw it anyway. And if you knew that he saw it anyway and you chose to do it anyway, it means that his knowledge, your knowledge of him seeing it actually is diminishing his authority in your life because you're being like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Whereas in a weird way, sometimes you need someone to be a conduit of God and sit in front of you as a flesh and blood representation of his truth and power. And you need to face up to the shame and say, I did this. And then they get to look in your eyes and they say, you are not that. I know who you are. You are forgiven. And every bit of darkness that's trying to come on you is gone in the name of Jesus. But also, let's talk about your freedom and your journey ahead. That's what accountability looks like. And it may not just be in the sin issues, but also it's in the choices in life. It's in the journeys in life. It's also accountability looks like cheering you on when you're doing the good stuff. Saying that's amazing. Right now, we have got so much accountability in our life. We've just flung the doors wide open. We've got about 15 different people speaking to our lives right now. Not so that it can be confusing and overwhelming with information, but because we cannot afford in this season to have anything other than ultimate accountability. There's, we have never been the senior leaders of a church before. We've been around a lot, and we've done a lot of things. But we need to be in a position of humility and learning. And so we're like, okay, accountability. We want to be accountable over the prophetic words in our life. We want to be accountable over the truth in our lives. We want to be accountable over the structures we're building, over the plans, over the visions, everything, over our actions. We want to be accountable as parents. We want to be accountable as leaders. We want to be accountable as friends. And we build in accountability structure around us for all those arenas in our life so that everybody in those arenas can see and have an opportunity to speak. So they can say, good job, or they can say, don't do that again. That's what accountability looks like. And so if you have people around you who are saying things to you like, well, you know, a queer, I'm really sorry that person was so horrible to you. Aren't they just a terrible person? And you're like, yeah, they are a terrible person. And then they're like, yeah, you know what? What we should do, we should write some mean messages to them and block them on our phones so they can't come back at it. And, let's do, and, and you create this atmosphere that's accountability when really it's just an atmosphere of defilement. It's an echo chamber of being like, they're there, they're there. You didn't deserve that. And that voice is a good, when it comes through true compassion, is a good thing. But when it's actually just confirming and affirming your brokenness, that's just from the pit of hell. And we need to just reject it, and we need people to come alongside us and be like, the queer, did you do the right thing then? <laughs> and then, and then you'd be like, well, maybe not. And they're like, well, let's talk about it. Until you start to feel a bit square, and you're like, okay, I really didn't do the right thing. And then you start to change as a result because you're under accountability. Then ownership is where we finish on this journey. We come back to that place of whose is it all anyway? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we go through the journey of who we are and who he is, identity. We go through the journey of recognizing that he 
has the authority, and it's his, not ours. We go through the journey of experiencing his provision in all things, his leadership and accountability, and that's also the accountability of the brethren around us. And then also we stand in a place of ownership where we come to the end of our daily journey with God, and we say, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Because when we live in all the stuff before that, our lives are going to start looking really good. When we live in the daily bread, when we live in under leadership, when we have accountability around us, our choices are going to become so godly and holy that we start to see success in all realms and regions around us that we start to potentially fall into a place of pride and go, oh, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at praying the Lord's Prayer. I'm really good at seeing the kingdom of God come. I'm really good at seeing him move. I am a blessing to God. Isn't God so, so blessed by having me as his servant, me doing all those things for him? You know what? You're welcome, God. And we could. We could easily, but then if we resolve it and reconcile it to the place of, but yours is the kingdom. This thing you've established in my life, it's yours. Yours is the glory. The things you've done in my life, it's your glory. And yours is the power. It was done by your power anyway, forever and ever. Amen. Then we're never going to step into a place of false humility, a place of your welcome, God, a place of any of that stuff ever again. So you want to know how to do your daily life with God to live the best way possible. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's in there for you. You just need to journey it. And I'd suggest you start with doing it daily because you need his daily bread. Amen? Amen. Come on, right. 